Did you know that we spend billions of dollars every single year on security? Yeah, not just security for our homes, but security for our island, security for our nation, constant security. We spend billions of dollars on homeland security, alarm systems, alarm systems for our cars. And here's the, here's the news that I think all of us also know, is that we try our very best to even secure our yards with fences and dogs, or fences and then signs that say, beware of dog, and we have no dog. It's just to let people know that this is a place not to mess with. And we do that because we want to keep everything secure. And we have this thing called security because we've become insecure in ourselves. And in fact, as human beings, we have inside of us a thing that wants to keep us alive, to keep the survival going. And so today, as we continue in our series, Counterfeit, we're going to be talking about being secured, not scared, but being secured, because we all face fears. I remember this one day, uh, we moved into our new home, and you know when you move into a new place, uh, you're not familiar with the sounds and the, thing, the things around you, so we're in our new home, and I'm home uh, in my room, and I think my children were in the other room, they might have been sleeping, and I hear this loud bang on the back of the wall. Now, I'm leaning against the wall because we didn't even set up our bed yet, so I'm on my mattress, leaning against the wall, reading a book, and the lights, the, the lights are on, and I hear this loud bang right outside the window, and there's a trash can on the outside. And so I'm wondering, what caused that noise? And so I, I have to look outside, but the light is on, and I'm thinking if someone is outside, they're going to see me, so I want to turn off the light. Some of you do that to spy on your neighbors because they're fighting and you want to see what's going on. So I, the light switch is on the other side of the wall, though. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I got to get to that. I got to get to that light switch as quick as possible because this is what happens. And I think this happens for probably all the husbands at home is you go into like fight mode, right? You become like ninja. You become like warrior. Like, you, like you're taking them out. Whoever it is, you got to protect the home. So you go into this. It's just something psychological that happens. And I'm sure with the women too, you just got to guard your castle. So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, what if there's more than one? How am I going to take them out? I'm barefoot right now. And, and I, do I have skills? Do, do I need to grab a weapon? What do I do? So I'm thinking of all this, but the first thing is turn off the light. So as fast as I can, I put the book down and I book it to the light and I turn off the light. And then I run into the other room and I grab my flashlight. Now I have the flashlight and it's dark outside too. So I'm against my wall now and there's a sliding glass door. So I'm against the wall with my flashlight. And I'm kind of peeking because I watch movies and I'm peeking. I'm like... <laughs> so I turn on the flashlight and I block it. So I'm holding it. And what I want to do is turn around and shine outside so that I can see who it is and then that's as far as I went with my plan, so I, I didn't even know what I was going to do after that. So all I know is I need to see if someone's outside. So, what I, I, so I'm ready, and I turn to shine outside. I see my own reflection and freak out. <laughs> I, see my, I see myself like, hey, hey, oh, what? Ah! And they're moving with me, so I don't know what's going on. And after all, I'm like, hey, hey, oh, oh, okay, that's me. So I, and there was nothing outside. I think it was a cat or something. All I know is I was scared out of my mind. You know when all the hair stands up on you and you're just, after I like, oh, man. Yeah, and you can't stand still. All the hair is standing up. I mean, like you, you can't think after that because you're scared. 
And there's something inside of us that goes into protective mode. Now, my son, Jordan, and uh, my wife, Heidi, bought me this Apple Watch for Father's Day. On this thing, if you have an Apple Watch, it tells you when to breathe. So it tells you, you know, like, take time to breathe. And so I saw it the other day, and so I'm taking time to breathe. And so I'm, I'm standing in my room, just breathing, taking deep breath, and it slows down your heart rate. Now, my dog, Bo, was in the house, and he was in the living room. So I'm, I'm taking slow, deep breaths, breathing. If he didn't lick my hand while I'm like 30 seconds in breathing, and when he licked it, I just, I freaked out. I got scared. He's sitting there looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you standing there just doing nothing? And when I saw him and, and I got scared, everything in me got scared. And, and so much so that you start becoming itchy. Like I think my nerves were affected or something. And I thought, there's something inside of us that when we're scared, it, we react to it. Everything in us reacts to being scared. I think about that. And I think about where we are in our world. If you watch the news, scroll through Facebook, read a newspaper, there are some scary things that are happening. I looked up the, the scary things that are happening around the world, and I found it interesting that there's a top 10 things that Americans fear. And here they are. The first thing, the, the highest thing that Americans fear is this. Corruption of government officials. That's the top fear we have. Corruption from government officials. It's higher than terrorist attacks. That's not that good, right? Being in the land of the free, home of the brave. We're afraid of our own government corruption than terrorist attacks. The third one was not having enough money for the future. Number four was being a victim of terror. Number five was government restrictions on firearms and ammunition. Number six was people that we love dying. That's a fear that we have. The next one was economic or financial collapse. The next one was identity theft. We fear that someone's going to take our identity. People I love becoming seriously ill was number nine. And then the last one is the Affordable Health Care Act. Oh, we know it's Obamacare, and that's uh, kind of a going up and down because it comes, to, it comes down to our health. Now, we, ha we all have these fears. And here's what actually happens when we have these fears. We have an enemy who feeds off of our fears. In this series that we're calling Counterfeit, that's what we've been learning, that we have an adversary. In fact, if you're new today, we want to welcome you. And, and when you came in, you were given a bulletin. And in there are some notes that will help you to follow along. Some of you use your church app on your phone or on your device. But what we're talking about is this thing called counterfeit. And really, that word counterfeit comes from two words, contra and facer. It's two Latin words. Contra, that means in opposition, and facer, which means to make. So in other words, a counterfeit is to make in opposition. It's opposite of that which is real. So if something has high value, a counterfeit has no value or lower value. And what we're finding is that's what the devil comes to bring. He brings in a counterfeit in every kind of way that he's able to transform himself so that it, he can transform himself to your liking, to your senses, so that whatever, whatever you want, he can kind of transform into persuading you into that direction so long as it's farther and farther away from God. Let's look at our notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. This has been our centerpiece scripture. And we're going to read this together so we can kind of sink in. And if you haven't memorized it already, 
We're going to read it together. Ready? Go. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's what that word masquerade means. It means to disguise, to transform, and able to appeal to the senses. And because he's able to do that, if we're not careful, we won't know the difference between God bringing in his presence and his light and his glory with the enemy appearing, bringing in a counterfeit, masquerading as an angel of light. The only way we will know the difference is to come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because when you know the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you know that which is counterfeit. And one of the biggest fears we have in our world today, any fear that you may have, the devil can use and counterfeit so that you pull away from God. You know, what is interesting is here in Hawaii, one of the biggest fears is a nuclear attack from North Korea. It's one of the biggest fears. By the way, if there was one on, on Oahu, it wouldn't reach here. Just letting you know that. It, it just wouldn't reach here. There's like a 16-mile radius. So don't think that everything is going to be wiped out. But more than that, it's not just having these fears around the world or, or uh, nuclear war or global war. You know what, is really, what really should be a concern of ours? is the nuclear wars that are happening in our very own families. What's happening in our own community. I mean, some of us have fear just in our community. We read the newspaper or see some posts or or things on the news that things are happening in our own community. Loved ones that we know of who are being victimized. People who don't know which direction to go and, and where to turn. And so violence is running rampant. And shootings and all of these different things are taking place and so as believers you're wondering where where do we fit in all of this i mean do we do we just blend in with the world or how do we live are we supposed to be scared like everyone else do we pull back but the bible is going to give us actually some answers on how we're supposed to be secured not scared in second peter chapter 3 verse 17 He writes out these words, and Peter was a disciple of Jesus. So if anything, Peter understood fears, but he also understood being secure. And he writes this. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And he ends with saying, Amen. And anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, it means check what was before that. Anytime you see therefore, there's something before. And what Peter was talking about before he says this is that there is going to come a time when everything will be wiped away. And he's talking about end times, the days when Jesus comes back, that people will scoff at the things of God. That Jesus will come back like a thief in the night and everything will be destroyed. And so Peter is saying, well, since everything is going to be destroyed, how are we supposed to live? What's the use? And so he wants to bring us back to who Christ is because everything is going to be destroyed anyway. So how are we supposed to live? And we're going to look at three ways in which we're supposed to live, which which the Bible teaches us. And the first one is to do this, to keep growing in Jesus. Keep growing in Jesus. I mean, I... I just come to church. Why do I have to grow in Jesus? What does that have to do with being secured and not scared or living in fear? Why am I supposed to have this growth factor in me? 
In fact, some of us, I mean, we all have some type of goal in life. We have goals during the day. We, we get ready for the day. We put goals together. We have like a to-do list. So there's nothing wrong with planning out and having some goals and thinking ahead. But more than that, or maybe just as important, is to, is to have some growth opportunities to keep growing. See, we put goals in place because we want to head somewhere. And the same thing with growth. We put growth in place in our spiritual walk because we want to go somewhere. And in order for us to continue to grow in Christ, we got to remember that we will never arrive in a certain maturity level in Jesus. That's why we got to keep growing in Him. And you might be thinking, so does that mean I have to be smart? Do I have to memorize Scripture? What do I have to do? You know, there was a study that was made by this one teacher who turned psychiatrist. Her name was Angela Lee Duckworth, and she came to a, a study on the military, uh, classrooms, uh, spelling bee, and the contestants, and, and various forms of people using their, their talents and their skills and also their passions to accomplish something. And it's interesting what she finds in this study that she found that the students with the highest IQ were not necessarily the ones or the reason why they finished top of their class. It wasn't their IQ and it wasn't their talent. It was this one thing called grit. Grit. And she describes grit as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit. But she did find this also, that the most talented people struggled with having grit. As we often say, hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard. Now, you might be thinking, I wasn't born with grit. Yeah, but you can be taught grit. Some of you have been taught grit as an, at an early age when your parents said, go dig weeds, uh, go, go, go throw this over there, go take out the trash. Like, they gave you chores. Even when you didn't feel like it, you had to do it. Why? Because they were building grit in you. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what if I get both? I can't have grit with high IQ. Yes, you can. Some people have both grit and IQ. Look at the person next to you. They probably have both. Grit and IQ. Yeah. Grit is something that we have inside of us that, yeah, maybe we were taught it. Maybe we learned it as we grew up. Or some of us, maybe we, that's just the type of person we are that we never quit. Grit says when everyone else is done, I'm still going. Grit says even though I'm sick, I'm going to keep plowing forward. Grit says even though I'm hurt, even though I'm frustrated, I'm not going to give up. Grit says even though it's complicated, I'm going to find a way. Grit says, even though I don't have, I'm going to do the best that I can with what I have. That's grit. Grit actually could be summed up with the little engine that could. If you have never read that story, great, great story. Very good theological story of a little train that came to the other trains when they had to take toys over the mountain. And the other train said, there's no way possible. We don't, we don't have what it takes to get over the mountain. But that little engine said, I think I can. I think I, I think I, yeah. And then when he was able to take the toys over the mountain, what did the train say? I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. It's like with that same mantra. And that's what we got to say to ourselves. When, there, when, there's time to, when it's time to grow in Christ, we say to ourselves, 
I, I, I think I can. Why? Because I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. See, we still, we continue to grow in Christ because we're either going to be secured in him or scared in the world. There's an algebra equation that helps us to understand this. And, and uh, let's just say we want to travel 5,000 miles. That's the distance we want to go. If you go at five miles an hour, you're going to have to go 1,000 hours to equal 5,000 miles, right? Which is the rate times time equals your distance. But what if you want to get there in a quicker amount of time? This is how many hours. What do you have to do? Yeah, you got to go faster. So if you go 50 miles per hour you're going to only have to go 100 hours to equal 5,000. If you want to get there in 10 hours, what do you have to do? You better go super fast. Yeah. And you'll get there in 10 hours, and then you'll hit the same amount of, amount of distance. So it is as a believer. So it is as a believer. It's not how long you and I have been with Christ that makes all the difference. It's really how we're growing in him. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I only grow at five miles an hour. Then you grow at five miles an hour. Some of you may say, oh, I, I grow at 50 miles an hour. Then you grow at 50 miles an hour. Some of you are like, yeah, I grow at 500 miles an hour. I just, I learn, I grow, I learn, I grow. I learn, I grow, I learn. See, see what I did? So <laughs> it's, it's up to you where your growth is going to be. But what we don't do is say, hey, how come, how come I'm growing like this? And you, honey, how come you're only going five miles an hour? You need to grow like me. Because sometimes we do that. And we compare ourselves to other people and we say, how come they're not this? How come they're not that? But really it comes down to my relationship with God because I can only control my growth in the Lord. Only I can. Yeah, we can, we can help each other in things as the Bible says yeah, one plants and the other waters, but God ultimately brings the increase. But we continue to grow in Him because He's always doing something in us. And He wants us to continue to grow. And anything that is not growing is either dead or artificial. That's the only two options. Colossians 1, excuse me, Colossians 4.12 gives us a man's name by the name of Epaphras. And it says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. And Paul the Apostle is actually speaking this. And he says, you know, this guy Epaphras, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That word assured means full to the brim, that you're matured, that you're, you're constantly filled with God, filled with his spirit, constantly. We don't know what a mature Christian looks like, someone who, who so-called is matured in God. But what we do know is that we can stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. In other words, being filled with His Spirit. And He fills us with His Spirit so that we can give that out. As Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 tells us, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And we are the church. He said, here's what I've given. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we may be mature in the Lord. So you can see that maturity is actually coming to know who Christ is, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then he continues, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And the Bible even says that, you know what, if, if, you're, if you're measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, then you will no longer be immature like children and you won't be tossed to and fro with lies and people trying to trick you which sounds like the truth. Or they're going to bring things in, or the devil, the counterfeiter, is going to come in and bring things in that sound like the truth. But because of your, your knowledge and you, you know of the knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're able to differentiate between the two. And yeah, this is definitely of God. Oh, this is definitely not of God. You're able to catch it. Why? Because you're becoming mature in your walk with Christ. You're continuously growing in Him. That's why I'm so glad that we're a church that constantly promotes this growth, discipleship, or rooted in growing, that we want you to continue to grow in Christ, devotions, getting into the Word of God, because we're the family, the body of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, someone came up to me and said, you know, my, my, uh, my, my daughter is turning six years old, and I asked her, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she told me, I want to go to church. And so the mom said, no, no, but where do you want to spend your birthday? Where do you want to have your party? And he said, oh, at church. I'm thinking, not Fun Factory? Not like beach or something? No. And the daughter wants to spend her birthday at church. And she's turned six years old today at church. And I thought, what, what a family. That here's a six-year-old girl wanting to spend her birthday with you. So Lily Marie, happy birthday to you. We just want to say happy birthday. She's such a cutie. So, so they're going to have cake after, right, in the fellowship hall. So cake for everybody. But the piece is real small. No. They, they asked me, how many sheets of cake? I'm like, I don't know. Just, so if you want to, please go tell her happy birthday. But I thought, what a place to keep growing in Christ. That here we have our young ones growing up in a place that finds God's love and security in Christ, in who he is. And I pray that we'll continue to build that kind of legacy. Peter continues on in 2 Peter verses eight and nine, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, but do not forget this one thing. He says, dear friends, please don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, he's saying, you're going to be growing in me, but don't forget about other people because you still have yet to reach other people. Otherwise, we just think it's for us, and then we become like a club that just meets here at church rather than reaching out to other people one relationship at a time. That's why the second thing we need to do here is number two, and you can write this in, to receive God's grace, but then give God's grace. God has given us grace, not so that we ourselves can just have his grace and feel good about it, 
but that we would also give his grace to those who still have yet to come to know him. It's his, it's his grace. People need God's grace, and he's going to use us to do so. Here's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he's saying, with this grace, go do something about it. Peter says it like this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Of God's what? Grace. And how are we supposed to do it? In various forms. In other words, there are multiple ways of receiving God's grace and then giving God's grace out. I mean, don't we teach that to our children? When we give them a toy or something or we give them a snack and brother or sister or cousin or friend comes along and then we say, oh, you need to share. And they say, oh, I don't want to share. No, you need to share. But I don't want to share. This is what we do as loving parents. We say, okay, you don't want to share? What do we do? We take it away and what do we do with this? And we give it to everybody else. And then we say, you need to watch them play with your toys. <laughs> that's like, that's what, that's what we do to our children. But here's what God does. He says, the grace that I give to you, you don't even own it. It's not even yours. You're a steward of God's grace. It doesn't even belong to us which tells me I have endless amounts of grace when I have the grace of God. So when grace is given, I, I have grace. Thank you, Lord. I can give grace away. Something happens, give grace. Somebody is maybe controversial with your beliefs, grace. Yeah, but where, where, where do we bring in the truth? We're supposed to bring in the truth because the truth shall set you free. And some of us live by that. that oh, we just bring the truth. We've got to bring in the truth of God because... These, these people, they're sinning, so if you tell them the truth, otherwise, if they don't know the truth, how are they going to be free? Because if that's the motive for people to be free, then why don't we do it Jesus' way? See, there's a difference with bringing just truth to someone, but also giving grace. Now, we need both, because secured people are gracious people. People who are secured in Jesus are one of the most gracious people. And God wants us to be gracious. Why? Because there are a lot of scared people out there that don't know God who have yet to become secure in Him. And He's going to use us to bring His grace. And so when people are scared at what, take, what takes place around the world or even in their own families, He says, you need to bring in my grace because there's power in that. You bring my grace. Not thump the Bible over their head and tell them everything that they're doing is wrong. You love them with my grace. I will bring revelation to them. And then when they receive revelation, they'll understand. People will receive truth after grace has been given. But if it's just truth and no grace, hearts become hardened. Peter, he kind of pinpoints this and he says, you know, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, here's how you ought to live. 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In other words, Peter is painting a picture and he's saying, listen, if this is where we're heading, we might as well start practicing today. We might as well start practicing because we want more people to come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they too can find him as Lord and Savior. But we, as human beings, we have a tendency to become scared with what's happening around us. Now, we need to be wise, as the Bible says, but we need not to fear. In fact, over and over, Jesus constantly said, fear not. Do not be afraid. Over and over. Why? Because we have inside of us, built within us, the fear factor or the fight or flight syndrome that the moment we become scared, we have the will to survive. That we go into fight mode or flight. We need to run away. See, we're not designed to do anything uncomfortable, scary, uncertain, or difficult. We're not designed that way. Our brains are designed to protect us from those things. And our brains are trying to constantly keep us alive. Our brains actually protect us from getting hurt. And because of that, if there is anything that threatens our survival or our, our daily lifestyle or, or people we care about, our brain triggers that scared mechanism to protect us. And so how, how do we become secured, not scared, when various threats surround us? And by the way, being scared is not the issue because being scared doesn't paralyze us. Staying scared does. Fear in itself doesn't paralyze us, but living a life of fear, that paralyzes us. And so what we want to do, here's the last thing, is to learn the ways of Jesus as Lord and Savior, as Lord and Savior. And now why is it Lord and Savior? I mean, we hear that Lord and Savior. Why is it both Lord and Savior? Well, here it is, because we all have habits. Habits. What does habits have to do with Jesus being Lord and Savior? Well, because one of the habits that we have is a habit that probably many of us don't even recognize that we're doing. But it is one of the most important habits to understand it's a stealth habit. It's a habit that flies under the radar or sometimes you can't even detect it. And it's a habit called hesitation. Hesitation. We all have the habit of hesitation. For instance, if you're with a group of people, let's just say you're dialoguing and you're coming up with ideas. If you've been shut down left and right or you're, maybe an idea went bad, you will hesitate when all the ideas are coming up because you don't want to be looked like a fool again or, or you don't want to be wrong or something like that. You hesitate. And the moment you hesitate, our body sends stress signals to the brain and the brain wakes up and says, wait a minute, what just happened? Uh, you hesitated. Why did I hesitate? I didn't hesitate when I put on my shoes, brushed my hair, put on my jacket. I didn't hesitate when I started the car. What happened? What, what? And so the brain wakes up and then starts to kind of like go into protective mode. And now the brain says, wait a minute, what just happened? And now as your brain goes into protecting you, it, it, there's, it goes into a million ways, millions of ways, how to protect you. 
One of the ways it protects us is a thing called the spotlight effect. Now, once the brain goes into protective mode and the spotlight effect is on, the spotlight effect says that I'm going to magnify the risk. That's what happens. When your brain goes into protective mode because it woke up because you hesitated, it goes into protective mode. That's why if you're a bodyboarder, surfer, if you hesitate on the top of the wave, you're going down. If you're going to take off on a wave, you either go or don't. But we hesitate, and the brain puts together all of these signals and starts stressing on it. It says, wait a minute, you didn't hesitate when you did this. Why this? And now it, it, it actually magnifies risk. Why? So that if there's anything that threatens us, we pull away from it. That's why if you've been hurt in a relationship, maybe you've gone through an illness, any type of thing that you got hurt, damaged, or scarred, someone betrayed you, someone lied to you, someone stole from you, you have all of these things that take place in your life, you actually now hesitate when these things come up again. That's why if you were hurt in a relationship and you go into another one and you weren't completely healed, you bring all of that into this one and the other person after a while will say, stop treating me like the other person. I wasn't the one that hurt you. And you can't help it. Why? Because you have this in you. It's already magnified, so you're not going to take any risk and you're going to pull back. But when you learn the ways of Jesus, that he is your Lord and Savior, you begin to understand, yes, he saved me, but also he's Lord over my life. And because he's Lord over my life, he can help me with my decisions. Did you know that, that every problem that you and I may come across can always be traced back to hesitation or silence? Otherwise known as a decision. A decision that we made. That was either because we hesitated or we just didn't want to, we, we were silent about it. But when you learn the ways of Jesus being Lord and Savior, he's able to help us with the decisions that we make. And he's able to help us in every area because we are all just one decision away from a better life, one decision away from a better family, one decision away from a better marriage, one decision away from a better relationship. One, one, one decision away from bettering our finances. One decision away from our, our relationship with God. One decision away from changing everything for the better. One decision. And Jesus wants to help us with that decision because it'll come at us. And instead of being scared of taking risks, Jesus has to actually redesign us to make us new because our sin nature will use how we were designed against us. So now... We fear if so-and-so is still going to love me because you're growing older or the kids are going to move out. We're going to be empty nesters. Are we even going to like each other? You have these fears of the unknown, the fears of are we going to do well financially, the fears of what about our children? They're going to go off to college. You have all of these fears, and it's like Jesus saying, let me redesign you so that I can help you where you are right now, but I need to be both Lord and Savior, not just Savior. And he wants to redesign us so that we're secure in him, not scared of the unknown, the difficulties, or even uncertainties. Peter says it like this. He continues in 2 Peter 3, 14. He says, so dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, 
Well, looking forward to what? Looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth with, where righteousness dwells, as he said earlier. He says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, here's the problem. If we're ever going to be found blameless or spotless and at peace with God, we're going to need to know the truth. But we're also going to need a lot of grace. And we're going to need a lot of grace for other people too. In other words, when Jesus is your Savior, we fall under grace. But when he's Lord, we fall under truth. That's why he needs to be both Lord and Savior, because we need both truth and grace. But here's the problem. Many of us just operate under truth with little grace. But John chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, how? Full of grace and truth. I find it no mistake that the Bible says grace first, truth after. I find it no mistake. And it's grace before truth. Why? Because if we don't have the grace of God to a world that's hurting, they will never want to hear the truths of God for their healing. There needs to be grace and truth. He reveal, whenever Jesus reveals truth to you and I, it does something to us. Because he came with grace first. If you watch anything that Jesus did, except for the religious leaders, because they weren't operating in grace and truth. They were just operating in truth. He was most hard on them. But when it came to the everyday person, he came with grace, and then he brought truth. With the adulterous woman, he said, where are, your, where are those who condemned you? She said, there aren't any. He says, neither do I condemn you. He gave her grace. And then he brought truth, and he says, now go and sin no more. In other words, what you're doing is not healthy for you. He brought grace and truth. And that's the way that Jesus comes at us. Why? Because our security is in his grace. Then he can bring his truth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is our, it's actually our scripture where we get our mission statement here at our church. That Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, he's never going to run out of grace or truth. He's never going to run out of time. And he's never going to leave us. He will always be here with us. Our security is in him. And Jesus isn't only talking about salvation. He's talking about truth, being Lord, that all authority has been given to me. Now, why can, how in the world can all authority be given to him? Because he's the Lord. Because he's the Lord. The one we worship is the Lord of all. So don't just think about salvation, which is the most eternal decision you and I will make. Think about the authority that Jesus has been given. He's the Lord of all. See, we cannot be Jesus to the world if we don't have Jesus in us. But he says, all authority has been given to me. And he says, fear not. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says it like this, I have told you all these things 
so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what I find pretty fascinating? In our world today, and even in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we still find mankind trying to find truth and knowledge outside of God. It was in the Garden of Eden when God said to Adam and Eve, you, shall, you can eat of any tree, just don't eat of this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. The counterfeiter comes in and says, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. And he, he tricks Eve into doubting God, into thinking that God is hiding something from you, that if you take of that tree, that you're going you're to be able to understand more than what you understand now, and it's going to be good for you. In other words, the devil still uses the same technique that he used back then in that you can find security outside of God. And it's a lie. It's a strategy of the devil. Don't buy into it. He masquerades as an angel of light, but Jesus is the light. The devil is everything Jesus is. The devil wants to be everything that Jesus is, but he can never amount to that. That's why we stay close to the Lord we keep growing in him. As we receive his grace, we give out his grace. And then never forget, he's always going to be here with us. We trust in him. We trust in who he is because he's our Lord and Savior. Amen. And close your Bibles and put away your notes. And call out grace into the keyboard. When I was thinking of today, I was reminded of this story of this one man, this father who was teaching his son how to swim, and the son was very scared, afraid of swimming. So the dad brought him into the swimming pool, and, you know, it's at the shallow end, but his son really couldn't touch the bottom, so the dad said, you know what, I, I'm just going to hold you, and then you're going to kick your legs, and he was teaching him how to swim and do certain things, and so he's kicking and, and moving his arms, and as he's, he's moving forward, the dad slowly lets him go, and the son panics, and the dad says, it's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. You don't have to worry. I'm right here. And so as he's letting him swim, he slowly lets him go, and the son starts to panic. And the dad finally says, listen, son, just talk with me. Let's just talk and look at my face. Just look at my face. Just look at daddy. Don't worry about anything else. And as the dad is talking with his son, he's walking around the pool. Now the son can't touch the bottom, but the dad can. And so as he's going around the pool and he's talking story with his son, after a couple of minutes, the son doesn't even recognize that the dad let him go. And he started swimming. And as the son is just enjoying his time, he's just, now he can focus on the father not trying to stay afloat. And I thought, how often you and I are just trying to stay afloat and we can't even focus on the father. But if you're focusing on the Lord, and your relationship with him, after a while, you won't even worry about being scared so much because your security is being face-to-face -face with your heavenly Father. That's where security comes in. And as believers, we're secured, not scared, because of who Christ is. He has already overcome the world. Because of that, we too can live as overcomers. Amen. You bow our heads with me, and we're going to close in prayer.
Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior, but at the same time being our Lord, that you've given us your grace, but also truth. And so we want to continue to grow in you, to become mature, fully assured, filled to the brim, that we would be people who receive your grace, but then also give your grace, because there are many people out there that still are scared in the world that we live in. And so we want to bring your grace, your power. Lord, we thank you for who you are as our Lord and Savior. I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that maybe they've never said yes to you. Maybe today is their day that they're saying, I I want to find my security in God. I just don't know how to. Well, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's a prayer of salvation that Jesus would become your Lord and Savior. And if that's you and you're saying, I want Jesus in my life. I want to give him my heart. I've never prayed this before, but I want to pray to him today. If that's you, would you just lift a hand real briefly And what you're doing is you're saying yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. Yeah, God sees you right here. Yeah, absolutely. Back there, right here. Yeah, you're saying yes to Jesus. I want Jesus in my heart. Yeah, God sees your hand right here, right here. Yeah, absolutely. God sees you back there, right there, right there. God sees you. Yeah, he hears your prayers right here. Okay. Yeah, back there. God sees you definitely. You can put your hands down. As we pray this prayer together, always remember that God will always look at your heart. And as we pray this, let this be your commitment to him. And if you've prayed this a thousand times, even as a believer, let this be a reminder that God God is, is always there with us and he'll never leave us. He is always with us, even to the end of the age. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. Forgive me, wash me clean, and make me brand new. I thank you for being my Lord and Savior. My security is in you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen.